Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. If you've got your Bibles this morning, grab it and go to Luke chapter 18, verse 31. Luke chapter 18, verse 31. So we're going to be looking two more weeks at this whole idea of uh, this faith. We've been talking about uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. says, without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so that should lead us as those who want to please the Lord to say, okay, if I can't do it without faith, What is the kind of faith that pleases God? Well, if we were to go back, we can look at the passages that we've checked out. We've talked about persistent faith, and we've talked about humble faith. We've talked about childlike faith, and we've talked about faith in grace alone. And today I want to look at the idea of blind faith. Blind faith. Now, Blind faith is often described as this idea, the kind of faith when we don't understand something, when when it doesn't make sense to us, we say, well, you don't have to understand it. You just got to believe. You just got to have faith. And that is not what I want to describe to you today. Not what I want to describe. So that blind faith would say, well, just throw your brain out the window. Your brain is the antithesis of faith. And that's not the truth. That's not what we see. Your brain, they would say, gets in the way of faith. And sometimes blind faith would say, well, our faith isn't, it's not, um, it's not reasonable, it's not logical, you can't, it's not consistent, it's not defensible, you, you can't do those things. But that's not what we want to communicate about blind faith today. We don't want you to check your brain at the door, all right, amen? So if you've turned off your brain, turn it back on. Get it going. We believe that God says through His Word that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And so today we want to look at blind faith, not as in the check your brain at the door kind of faith that just says believe, but faith through a blind man's eyes. Faith through a blind man's eyes. And so today in our passage, Jesus is making a comparison, and we'll see that. A comparison of seeing with spiritual eyes versus seeing with physical eyes. And that's why, and we're going to look at this verse in a little while, but even in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, it says we walk not by, or we walk by faith, not by what? Sight. We walk by faith. And we want to be people of faith. Faith that pleases God. So let's pray and let's ask God to help us and let's read in the book what God's Word says to us today. Father, we ask that you'd help us to have eyes to see. Almost every song that we sang today talked about our eyes are being opened through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray today that each one of us would see your word, would see your heart, would see your truth, would see the value of Jesus, would see the hope 
that's found in Christ alone would see that we can find salvation from our sins through Jesus alone. We would see that it's not by works, but by grace alone. We don't deserve it, but it's by sheer unmerited favor in Jesus today. And I pray that you'd give us the ability to see what we've never seen before today. Fathers, to open our eyes. Lord, help us to listen today. We love you. Come, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? If you would, let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 18, verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. On the third day, he will rise. Verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man who was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Simple as that. Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Please be seated. Okay. So the first thing that we see in this passage is a comparison being made. Now I want you to see this comparison, okay? So today, today we're, we're going to be uh, calling our sermon Blind Faith, Seeing with Spiritual Eyes. And I want to show you this through the Scripture today. We see a comparison. Look at verse 31. Verse 31 says these words. Starts out Jesus' words, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. I want you to understand that word in Greek is behold. And he says, behold, hey, see it, look at it. And Jesus is saying, I want you to see something. See with your spiritual eyes so that you understand why we're going to Jerusalem. So why Jerusalem? Let's look at verse 31. It says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Now, I want you to see something. Son of Man is a, a title for the Messiah who is to come. The Messiah is God's chosen and anointed Savior. It's the one who would come and rescue Israel and redeem Israel. The Son of Man, that title comes out of Daniel chapter 7, where uh, Daniel, in a vision, sees and beholds the Ancient of Days, and one comes to him like a Son of Man. And to him, the Son of Man was given throne and dominion, and his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. Aren't we glad that Jesus' kingdom is an everlasting kingdom? Doesn't matter who's on 
the, 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 the chair, or sitting in the chair in the Oval Office, Jesus is on His throne. Amen? So I just want you to know today that the Son of Man is His title. He says, the Son of Man is going to Jerusalem. Why? So that everything written about me by the prophets will be accomplished, Jesus says. And then He describes that. Look in Verse 32, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So this is Jesus's, in the book of Luke, this is the sixth time Jesus references his death and resurrection. The sixth time. But this is the third time he is very specific with his disciples about why he's going to Jerusalem, what must be accomplished at Jerusalem, and even now is getting into the very nitty-gritty details of what's going to happen to the Son of Man when we get to Jerusalem. Very clear. Is this not crystal clear for you and for me? We see it, and he says, hey, he's going to be delivered over and mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. Now, I want you to understand, each one of those things is in a, a specific fulfillment to a specific prophecy of the Old Testament Messiah, of the Jewish Messiah who would come uh, uh, prophesied by the prophets of old, each one of them are what the prophets foretold. And Jesus says, we're going there so that you might know that I'm He. That I'm the one who came to redeem Israel. He will be delivered over. So I have a question for you. Who's going to deliver Jesus over to the Gentiles? Israel, right? The Jews deliver Jesus to the Gentiles. Why? Because the Jews cannot crucify a person, can they? Who delivers Jesus over to the Jews? God did. God did. Here's what I want you to understand. I want you to see today. See with your spiritual eyes that this plan is God's plan. This is God's plan. The cross was no accident. It did not happen to Jesus. The cross did not happen to Jesus. Jesus came for the cross. God, it was planned by God, accomplished by Jesus. Jesus is going to Jerusalem willingly and knowingly to suffer. He knew what he was getting into. He didn't get to Jerusalem and say, whoa, this is happening. How do we make the lemonade out of all these lemons? Jesus goes to Jerusalem for the singular purpose of a cross with his name upon it. And that name is King of the Jews. So he says, look at verse 32 and 30, 30 uh, excuse me, look at verse 34. 34 it says, But they understood none of these things. They understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Now, do you see that the disciples didn't see? Do you see that? Amen, somebody? Are you with me? The disciples who'd been with Jesus for almost three years now, Jesus has revealed to them for the third time, very specifically, the purpose that he's going to Jerusalem, and they still didn't understand it. Now, sometimes we think that they just didn't get it, that we are so much more intelligent than they are. 
And that's not what I think is happening. What I think is happening is they're looking at what Jesus is saying and they're saying, that doesn't line up for me. I know what we've been taught about the Messiah. I know that what we've been taught about the Messiah is the Messiah is going to come and defeat our enemies and set Israel free. That the Messiah is going to come and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It'll bring, he will bring the year of Jubilee that debts will be forgiven, slavery will be ended, the blind will see. I know that's what's happening. And so I don't understand how being handed over the Gentiles and mocked and spit upon and beaten and flogged and dying is going to accomplish any of those things. Can you put yourself in their shoes for a minute? Sometimes we read the Bible and we have 2,000 years of hindsight. And we, look, we read the Bible and go, man, those guys were dense. Do you know that if we were Jesus' 12 disciples, we would be just as dense as they are? How many times have you read the book of, of Exodus and you go, man, the Israelites are so dumb. They've got the promised land in front of them and Egypt behind them and they just want to go back to Egypt. I can't believe that. Guess who we are in the story? Israel, right? We are that. Okay, and so I want to put ourselves in, in the disciples' shoes, and it doesn't make sense. How is flogging and beating and death going to accomplish the plan of God? didn't make sense to them. And if I can just be honest, sometimes the beauty of it today still doesn't make sense. Not that I don't understand why he had to do it, but why he did it for me still doesn't make sense to me. They didn't understand how Jesus' death could fulfill the prophet's prediction. They did not see with spiritual eyes. And then we come to this man. Verse 35, as he drew near Jericho. Now understand real fast, see what's happening. Jesus is traveling from Galilee, which is the region where he lived. His, his hometown, he was born in Nazareth. His hometown was a place called Capernaum. And if you, if you want to go to Israel and see Capernaum, come with us next fall, October. The dates are in the brief that's out back. You can get that. The price is there. It'll tell you what we're going to go do. But you will get to walk the streets of Capernaum. And he traveled from Capernaum down the Jordan River Valley to a town named Jericho. And then he went from Jericho up the ascent to Jerusalem. And that was about a 20 miles journey from Jericho to Jerusalem, all uphill, beautiful journey. But he comes to this town named Jericho. And there, in, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. What does this mean? Blind man. Do you see Jesus' comparison that he's making? You've got the disciples who can see, but they don't understand. And then you've got a blind man who says, what's all this mean? Look at verse um, 36. And hearing the crowd going by, inquired of this, what this meant. Verse 37, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, in the book of Luke, this is Luke's last miracle. 
So we've been preaching through the book for like two decades now, okay? In the book of Luke, we've been here a long, long time, and we're getting to Jesus' last miracle before he goes to the cross. There are no more miracles that he does or recorded in the book of Luke. This is Jesus' last miracle recorded by Dr. Luke. And so understand something in this passage that this blind beggar is the personification of all of Jesus' teaching in chapter 18. All of the teaching about faith, this blind man fulfills it all. Let me tell you what I mean. He, in chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, it's the parable of the persistent widow who keeps pestering, and I want you to, until he gets an answer, and I want you to know that this blind beggar is the persistent widow. How do I know that? Because what happens in the story? Who's coming by? Well, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And what does he see with spiritual eyes? He says, son of David. He's saying, this is the king. The king is coming. Son of David, have mercy on me. And they said, you hush back there. Be quiet. And what's he do? He cries out all the more. He is the persistent widow who in faith cries out to God until God listens and responds. He is the persistent widow widow. Not only is he the persistent widow, but he is also the humble tax collector of verses 9 down to verse 14. You see in 9 to 14 you've got a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee looks and he, he looks back at the tax collector and he says, oh God, thank you that I'm not like any of these people. I do all these things. Aren't you glad that you've got me on your team? And then there's the tax collector in the background. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to God. He beat his chest and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I want you to understand that the blind beggar is the personification of that tax collector. What does he say? Son of David, King of kings, the promised king, the promised Messiah, have mercy on me. He's the personification of one who knows his need. His, he knew his appeal was undeserved. So he didn't appeal to obligation. God, you owe me. He appealed to mercy. He is the epitome of childlike faith. He is trusting in God's promises. What does he say? Son of David. He knew. This blind man saw better than the twelve disciples could see. Do you understand? He was trusting God's promise. They said, who's coming? Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember what Philip asked about Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Hey, who's coming? Jesus of Nazareth. But this blind beggar could see straight through that, straight to Jesus' true identity. Who's coming? Jesus of Nazareth, son of David the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the promised Messiah, the Chosen One, the Anointed Savior, have mercy on me. He knew what the Messiah was supposed to do. I want you to look at verse Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 to 8. Isaiah 42, 6 to 8, I think we've got it on the screen. It says, I am the Lord. So God is speaking to his servant, the Messiah. He says, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and I will keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, 
from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. What is the, the Messiah, the servant, coming to do? To open the eyes of the blind. And this blind man could see the promise better than the twelve disciples could. Do you see the comparison? The disciples had been with Jesus three years and they missed it. But this blind beggar just heard the name of Jesus and he saw it. Do you see it? He believed. This blind blind beggar believed that the Messiah would come in and usher a time of healing and restoration. This He's saying, this is the Messiah. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's saying, this is the Messiah. This is the one God sent in the line of David. He can see, save me. He can do for me what I cannot do for myself. And what we see in the passage is this reveals the clarity of the blind man's sight. He could see better than they could. His physical eyes were broken, but his spiritual eyes were as clear as could be. He had 20-20 spiritual vision. He's the opposite of the rich young ruler. I want you to understand this. We talked about the rich young ruler last week, that he, wanted, he had to be saved by grace alone. See, the rich young ruler had everything and saw nothing, but this blind beggar has nothing but can see it all clearly. He's the opposite. He is the epitome of all of this teaching in chapter 18. And so Jesus responds. Jesus responds to this blind beggar. Look at verse 40. Jesus stopped. That is a beautiful thought. That the helpless, faith-filled cries of a blind beggar stopped the Savior in his tracks. Do you feel like you have to have it all together before you can pray? Let me tell you, you don't have to. You don't have to have it all together before you can pray. All you got to do is cry out for mercy. Do you feel like you have to have it all together before you can have just a a bit of the Savior's attention? Do you feel like sometimes a child in the household of God where you go, why does he get all the attention over there? Why is it always about them? I just want you to know that God has his eye on you. The Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, Jesus is watching you. In love, in care, he has his eye toward you. His ears are open to your cry. Everybody else was trying to hush him and silence him, but Jesus' ears were attentive. And I just love that thought. He stopped and he commanded the blind beggar to be brought to him. What do you want me to do for you? He says. What do you want me to do for you? Verse 41. He says, Lord, let me recover my sight. All I want is to see. All I want is to see. Look at verse 42. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now here's what I want you to see. 
the, the phrase has made you well in the Greek is, that, is actually has saved you. It, it says, it doesn't say your faith has healed you, but it rather says your faith has saved you. And I think Luke intends the double entendre there. That there is a physical healing that this blind man experiences, but there is a spiritual salvation that he experiences by calling on the name of Jesus too. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't just say, okay, if you want your sight back, that's fine, and you can remain spiritually blind. But I will, I will give you your sight, and I will save your soul, all based on your humble appeal for mercy from the Messiah. I love the idea that God, the, the Lord Jesus is in the business of helping those who can't help themselves. Doing for them what they cannot do. And as impossible as it was for this blind beggar to give himself back his sight, it's equally as impossible for he himself to save his own soul. And Jesus does them both in one fell swoop. Your faith in who I am, in my mercy has saved both your sight and your soul today. Some of you are in here today and you you have eyes to see, but you cannot see. And I want you to know today that Jesus has come to give you physical sight and a brand new spiritual life. But you've got to call on Him for mercy. He said, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. Verse 43, and all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. I want want you to understand that when God's mercy is poured out in a person's life, it always leads to worship. Listen to me. I love you, but one of the things that I talk about all the time is how can we sing some of the songs that we sing without our heart being stirred in affection to the one that we sing to? How can we sing about death that Jesus arrested death and gave us brand new life without emotion in it? How can we sing it with our faces stale and our hands in our pockets? How can we sing about the lavish mercy and grace of God and our heart be unmoved? Could be that we have a veil over our eyes. That we don't see as well as we think we do. Because in this story, when this blind beggar experienced the mercy of God, it led him to glorify God and all the people to praise Him. Has your salvation, have you gotten tired of your salvation? Have you gotten so accustomed to and familiar to your salvation that it's more like a piece of informational history than it is an experience with the living God? Because I promise you, when you see Jesus, you'll be transformed to worship Him. Oh, that we would not sing with our mouths and our hearts be far from Him. 
Jesus responded to this blind man's faith, to his persistence. Son of David, have mercy on me. You be quiet back there. And he cries out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. To his persistence, Jesus responds. To his appeal for mercy, Jesus responds. I want you to understand that all of us are in need of mercy. We have no spiritual leg to stand on. We have got no credits in our spiritual bank account to offer to God to pay our debt. We all are beggars in need of God's mercy. And when this blind beggar appealed for mercy, Jesus lavished it on him. I want you to understand that Jesus gave him what he asked for and what he didn't. That's how good God is. To his trust in the Messiah's power, he, Jesus responded. And Jesus responded to his spiritual vision. You've got the disciples. They've been with Jesus three years. They couldn't see it. But then you've got a blind man who could see it all. You've got the rich young ruler who was so blinded by his possessions. And then you've got this blind beggar who had nothing but could see everything. And Jesus responded. So... How does this get applicable? What do I do with this? I think there are four truths that we can learn from this story. Four truths. The first one is sin blinds us to spiritual reality. Sin blinds us to spiritual reality. I want follow the this this kind of picture for a moment. That unrepentant sin in our lives are like spiritual blinders that we put on to keep us from seeing the things of God. Spiritual blinders. And, and some of us have unrepentant sin in our lives. And if we just use the, 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 the list of teaching in chapter 18 about faith, let's look at those for a second. Laziness or a lack of persistence. If there's that laziness in our spiritual life, let me tell you, there will be spiritual blinders on you. Have you ever said, I just want God to speak to me. And I just say, if you open up His Word every day, He will speak. But some of us don't want to open His Word. His Word is living and active. It is His very Word to mankind. We don't need another spoken word from the mountain. What we need is His Word hidden in our hearts. But some of us, we find ourselves a little too lazy, and because of that, we got spiritual blinders. Some of us, we don't have any kind of persistence, whether it's in faith or prayer. We don't have any kind of persistence. We just give up very easily, and guess what? There are spiritual blinders that will keep us from seeing the things that God wants us to see. Pride. Pride blinds us to our own brokenness. Remember in, in, in verses... 9 down to verse 14. It, the parable was told to those who trusted in themselves for their own righteousness and looked down on others with contempt. I want you to understand that when we, when we have pride in our hearts, that blinds us to our need and we will have spiritual blinders on that keep us from seeing. When, when I have pride in my heart, it will lead to slander in my mouth. It will lead to disunity in my heart. It will lead to frustration with other people. When I think that I am better than I am, it will lead to problems with God and man. Pride blinds us to our own brokenness. Materialism, like the rich young ruler, can blind us to our spiritual need. 
Now, here's what I... I materialism is a hard thing to, to talk about because none of us thinks we're materialistic. I heard a, a preacher talk about this just this week. He said, you know what? When you, when you struggle with adultery, there's no doubt in your mind that you're struggling with adultery. And he, as a preacher, he said, I've had lots of people come to me and, and say, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling with this sin in my life, with adultery or, or, or lust or idolatry or all of these things. I'm struggling with these things in my life. He said, but nobody has ever come to me and confessed that they were struggling with the, the sin of greed. You ever thought about that? You don't wake up one day and you go, whoa, what happened? I've been adulterous. I don't know how this happened. But that, that idea of materialism blinds our eyes from the fact that even we're greedy or materialistic. I want you to know that all of us struggle with that to some degree. All of us have way more than we need and way more than we deserve. Amen, somebody? We are all blessed beyond measure. Now, I'm not saying that if you have everything, the way into heaven is to sell all your possessions and give it to the poor, because Jesus addressed that last week. But what I'm saying is sometimes a hindrance to us seeing the things of the Lord are that we have our eyes fixed on material possessions. I'm working towards something bigger and better. Sin can blind our eyes. Fixing our eyes on the world can blind us to God's divine plan. It, it says right here in, in verse 31 to verse 34 that he was revealing his plan to the disciples, and the disciples were looking at God's word through worldly eyes, and they missed the point. Have you ever noticed that you can get so focused on the, the happenings of the world that you miss what God's doing in his kingdom? If 2020 was not an example of that for us, I don't know what was. I, I was so focused on politics. Come on, somebody. It can't just be me. The brokenness that I see in our country. I was so focused on all of those things that my heart became bitter. And I missed out on many of the blessings of what God was doing around me and me participating in His kingdom because I was so focused on a worldly affair rather than on God's heavenly kingdom. And guess what? When we focus on the way of the world so much, our eyes are blinded to what, to what God wants us to be a part of. All that to say sin blinds us to spiritual reality and repentance is the cure. Repentance is the cure. If you feel like your eyes have been blinded to what God's doing around you, just, just pray, God, reveal the sin in my heart and, and, and teach me to repent of it. Grant me that repentance. The second thing we can learn is faith sees promises, not problems. Faith sees promises, not problems. Here's what I mean by that. How many of you, when you're going through a tough time in your life, uh, you've got something going on, that molehill becomes a what? An, a mountain that cannot be climbed. Do you know that the, the more we focus on our difficulties, the more difficult they become? Do you know nobody has ever stopped sinning by focusing on sin? 
I just got to stop doing it. I just got to stop doing it. I just got to stop doing it. You know what they do? They do it. Mountains, no matter how big they are in your life, will never be climbed by you focusing on how big they are. Mountains in your life, insurmountable mountains in your life, are always uh, achieved or, or climbed because you focus on promises, not problems. And I want you to understand that's exactly what this blind beggar does. He remembers the promises of God. His blindness matters nothing to him. The crowd telling him to hush up doesn't mean a thing to him. He's not looking at problems. He's focused on the promised one, the Messiah, in in whom all the promises of God find their yes and amen. And if you have Jesus today, if you have Jesus today, All of God's promises written through His Word are given to you. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is poured out on you through Jesus. Focus on the promises, not your problems. And I promise when you focus on the promise, the problems won't seem near as big. Why? Because I've got my eyes on the promise keeper and the promise maker. It's good news. It's good news. The third thing that I want you to see is faith focuses on following Jesus. Faith focuses on following Jesus. What happens? As soon as he's given his sight, what does he do? Follows Jesus. Do you remember the story of maybe a couple months ago about the ten lepers and how one was he or all ten were healed and one returned to worshiping? And how we should be that one? That's what we see here in this passage. The blind beggar is healed, and he doesn't use his newfound sight to go exploring the world. He uses his newfound sight to focus solely on his Savior. Faith focuses on following Jesus. The blind man follows Jesus after the healing. It shows us that the blind man's man's desire was much more than having his sight restored, but his soul restored. It was much more than healing. He could see with his eyes the one that he had envisioned his entire life by faith. He now saw his treasure eye to eye and was following him wholeheartedly. See, seeing Jesus transform the blind beggar into a fully functional child of God who is giving his life to following him. And I want you to understand, if you claim to have faith but you have no desire to follow Jesus... There's a, a disconnect there. But faith always focuses on following Jesus. Some of us, you need, just need to ask yourself, what's my next step in following Jesus? The last thing that I want you to see today is, is that faith saves. Faith saves. Let me tell you what doesn't save. You might be out there and you say, Ryan, you don't know how much of a sinner I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know my story. You don't know all the things I've done. I don't know how to make it right. And so you spend a long time trying to make all the wrongs you've done right. Trying to work off the regrets that you have. Trying to do enough good in the future to pay off the debt of your past. And I I tell you, that will never bring you a peace with God. Faith saves. Faith alone. The, The church fathers 
said there had five solas, five onlys of the Christian faith, five foundational statements to describe the Christian faith, and it was, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, by the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone. And if, if you're looking for peace with God and salvation from your sin, let me tell you, it's not merit. It's faith in His grace. Would you trust Him today? Today, maybe you just find yourself and you go, you know what? I got eyes that can't see. Confess it to the Lord. Say, Son of David, have mercy on me. When he asks you what you want, say, give me my sight. I want to see Jesus. I just want to see Jesus. And I promise when you see him, you won't help following. Would you stand with me? I don't know what the Lord might be saying to you, but if, if you want to spend the next couple minutes responding to the Lord, however the Lord might be leading you, please do. Whether it's for salvation or repentance, or asking Him to give you eyes to see. Use this time and this, these steps as your altar to meet with Him. That when you leave, you'd leave transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ, by His mercy alone. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is so beautiful and so rich and so good that mankind's words can't do Your Word justice. But I pray that today we would see the mercy of Jesus. How His heart was drawn to this blind beggar's plea. And Father, we might be like that blind beggar today. Father, only You can do a work in our heart to convict it or to change it or to move it just one degree closer to you. But today, by the power of your word, I ask that you do it for your glory. Make us as a church and as individuals more like Jesus. Father, give us eyes to see. Lead us to the cross and to repentance that follows you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.